Well, good morning, everyone. I am Matt. I'm Matt Klezos. I'm about to introduce myself. Um, you may not have seen me for a while, but in fact, I'm a, a pastor technically on staff with Northview Community Church. Uh, I'm the campus pastor of our Tri-Cities campus. As you probably know, we have East Abbey, we have Mission, and we also have uh, Tri-Cities, which I hope you've not forgotten about us. It's been a little while since I've been here. Uh, three years ago, in fact, is when uh, Tri-City Church was planted. Uh, it, it came about uh, as a partnership between uh, Northview and Westside and Crossridge. And uh, it's been a while since maybe you've got an update unless you've been to some of the AGMs. So I brought some, some photos just so you can have in your mind kind of what, when you think of Tri-City Church, who do you, who do you think of? Uh, first is our building. Uh, this building was, uh, is in Port Coquitlam. Uh, it was uh, there, it's been there since the 70s, but... For about a year and a half since before uh, Northview took it over, it was kind of vacant. Uh, the leadership there, the church that had had to close its doors, were looking for another church to come in. And so Northview, the elders, said, we're going to take over this building, but we're not sure what we're going to do. Uh, my wife and I, Don, we were thinking we want to plant in the Tri-Cities, but we're not sure how we're going to do that. And uh, through God's providential hand, brought all of this together so that we opened our doors uh, September 2017 and uh, then had a core team, uh, mostly of people from those other churches that lived in the area. And uh, this is what it looks like uh, today in our lobby. We have uh, about 450 people that are, are gathering on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is our Christmas uh, season. Uh, this is our Christmas Eve gathering. We had four of them that were uh, attended by mostly people from in the surrounding area. Uh, we've also had opportunity to have baptisms. Uh, we had a number of baptism services over the years. Uh, also, we've had day camps in the summer uh, with help from the Northview Kids team. You can see us there. That was a couple years ago. And we're starting to reach out into the community. Uh, this you're going to see is us on something called Love My City Week with the churches from the area going out and cleaning up garbage, just letting uh, the city know that we love them. So, so you should know that we're still there. And uh, by God's grace, uh, we are growing. Uh, you might also like to know that uh, we, are, we are planning on being an independent, sort of autonomous church, hopefully by next year. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be out of the basement. We're not going to keep coming to the fridge trying to steal food. Uh, we will be out on our own. Don't worry. Uh, but this really is, uh, I hope you see, I hope you're excited about this. This, I think, is when we talk about multiplication, I know you've been talking a lot about that as a church. Uh, I hope Tri-City Church is one of the things that comes to mind. Uh, because it's a great opportunity to go out into the community, uh, to establish new places where the gospel can be preached, uh, to connect with the existing community. And uh, we're so thankful, i got to say, so thankful personally for just the vision and support of uh, Northview. Uh, thankful especially for what God has done, but he's used you. He's used your prayer support, your financial support, the support of the staff uh, to enable us to really launch well and, and to grow well. So I'd like to just, uh, I'd like to pray and thank God for what he's done and also pray into the, uh, the vision to multiply. We really hope as Tri-City Church we can be part of that with whatever Northview's doing in the future. So let's pause and let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we are thankful. Thankful, God, for the stories of grace. Lord, I get to see it each week with people who have been disconnected from the church, uh, people, Lord, who, who just have never heard the name of Jesus coming through the doors, invited by people who are part of the church there in Poco. And, and Lord, what a joy it is to see them come and find the peace of Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, just a continued vision to multiply. I pray, Lord, here for the church that there would be a continual a desire to resource and support those who are wanting to go out. And I pray even for those here that might be sent out. Lord, there be other pockets, other areas in the lower mainland where you've already uh, planned to have a new church begin or a new campus. And uh, God, I pray that uh, you would be with us as we do that. I pray for more partnerships between local churches. 
God, we're thankful for the truth that as we go out, we have the greatest news that everyone needs to hear. And so I pray now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, that we also would be shaped and encouraged uh, by the good news of Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you are in week two of uh, a new sermon series looking at the life and ministry of Elisha. Uh, today we're in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Uh, last week we saw the beginning, beginning of the series, beginning of Elisha's ministry. Uh, Elijah was sent out by God, found Elisha working in the field. He threw his cloak on him. And from that day, Elisha began to follow Elijah. Now in our text, we're in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, and we are years later. This is actually the last day of Elijah's ministry. In fact, it's the last day of Elijah's life on earth. Uh, the very first verse kind of tells us what's going to happen. So let's, let's look at it right away. Verse 1 says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So it's no secret what's about to happen. Something amazing is going to happen. Um, but what you're going to see is, is a, a level of excitement at this transition, but also uh, a level of anxiety. In the next few verses I'm going to read through, you're going to see Elijah and Elisha, they're walking through the land. I want you to notice uh, kind of the, the demeanor of the people that come to talk with them, they're these prophets, uh, but also look at Elisha, kind of see his response, because I think you'll see sort of an underlying tension to the whole scene. So here's verses uh, 2 to 6. Elijah said to Elijah, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. We're going to pause there. So you'll notice that the people, the prophets, they seem a bit agitated. Right? They're wondering, what, what's going on? Come on, do you know this is the day? And Elijah, his responses are fairly short. I, I know, I know, stop talking about it. There's a level of anxiety that's here, and it's, it's not surprising why. This is a day of, of epic leadership transition. Uh, it's always a challenge, always a, a, a level of uncertainty that comes when there's any type of transition, but especially when the person who is leaving has had a very big influence, like a big presence. One person like this in history that that kind of came to my mind, that you probably know his name, Teddy Roosevelt, American President Theodore Roosevelt. He was apparently this kind of a man, this kind of a leader. Uh, there's a lot of legendary stories about Teddy Roosevelt. My favorite, though, is when he was shot in the chest uh, on his way to make a speech. Uh, someone came up, he was getting into his car, popped him in the chest, and uh, everyone you know, came and attended to him, and the doctors were there, said, we gotta we got go to the hospital. Teddy Roosevelt said, no, there's people waiting for me at the auditorium. He insisted on being driven to the auditorium, he, when he got there, he came up on stage and he said to everyone, uh, I'm sorry, I've been shot, uh, so I will not be able to speak as long as I normally would. And so then he, he took out his manuscript, soaked in his own blood, laid it out, and then spoke for 90 minutes. So I don't know what he normally would speak for if he wasn't shot, but that's, that's the kind of guy that Teddy Roosevelt was. Big presence, big influence. 
In fact, when he finally did die, uh, years later, not from the gunshot wound, uh, his son uh, telegrammed uh, his brothers who were in Europe at the time, and all the telegram said was, the lion is dead. The lion of a man that we know as, as father, as brother, as husband, as, as, as leader is now gone. See, for the people at the time, uh, Theodore Roosevelt's death felt, more, felt like more than just the end of someone's life. It felt like the end of an era. And that's kind of the way it is with Elijah. See, Elijah, he was a stalwart prophet of God. He had stood up to evil King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. God had used him to do amazing things. Brought drought into the land for years. Raised a, a widow's son from death. Defeated the prophets of Baal with fire from heaven. The people of God knew that God was with them because of Elijah, because he was there. And now he was leaving, and the people were getting worried. Elijah was, was a bit worried. That's, that's not surprising either. That's how we tend to react when, when times of uncertainty come upon us, especially when they are unwelcome or unexpected times. When the people we know and love fall ill, when the job that we thought would last until our retirement is all of a sudden not there for us, when our business fails, whatever the case may be circumstantially, when there are uncertain times, we have a growing sense of unease in our stomach. There's fluttering, there's a, there's a pit there, and we, we look around desperately for a way to make it back to the way that things were, when things were certain. See, while this passage is about a very specific moment in the history of God's people with a very specific uncertainty, what we're going to see in the text as we work our way through it is that it reveals some things that still bring peace to us today in our times of uncertainty. In fact, there are three of them that we're going to look at. Three things that we find here in the text that can bring peace in times of uncertainty. And the first is this. The first is we need to be discipled. We need to be discipled. Let me ask you, what do you make of the interaction between Elijah and Elisha? It's interesting Right? Three times, Elijah says, stay here. Three times, Elijah says, I'm not leaving you. I'm coming with you. You, you kind of wonder, what's up with Elijah? Like, why, why is he so grumpy? What is it? is it? Is it that he's gotten to the end of his ministry? He's kind of bitter. He's burnt out. Does he not think that Elijah really has what it takes? And so he's at the end just trying to say, no, this isn't for you. You shouldn't come with me. It's fair to say from looking at, if you look at, kind of read through about Elijah, he was not a really warm and fuzzy guy. So it may be that he's just kind of a grumpy guy. He's usually kind of curt, kind of to the point. But what we see here is, is not Elijah trying to dissuade Elijah from ministry. In fact, this is actually the culmination of the preparation and training to get Elijah ready for the mantle of ministry that will now be his. So Elijah is putting up some roadblocks for him here, but his goal, his hope, is that Elijah will push through them. That Elijah will demonstrate a commitment to the things of God by continuing to persevere. This kind of thing uh, is pretty common when it comes to sort of those who are being apprenticed, those who are being trained. Uh, you may have seen this. It's kind of a common trope or theme in, in literature and cinema. Uh, one of the dynamics that came to my mind were these two, uh, Yoda and Luke. Uh, in, case, uh, in case you've had trouble getting the names right, right? Who is who? This will help you. Elijah, think old, grizzled, uh, green. If you, you know, if you want to think of who's Elisha, he's, he's like Luke. He's young, he's, he's fresh, he's ready to be trained. 
But if you remember this scene, do you remember what happened? Luke went to the swamp planet. He needed to find the, the Jedi master Yoda, and he tried to convince him, tried to convince him to train him. And do you remember what Yoda said? He said, mm, too young he is, right? That's what he said. It's just the way he said it. I, I won't do any more, I promise. So there was a real level of reluctance on the part of Yoda. He said, you're too young, you're not ready, there's not enough time. But all of, those, all of that reluctance, all of those roadblocks only served to bolster Luke's enthusiasm. That's the same kind of thing we're seeing here. Three times, Elijah says, stay here. Three times, Elisha doesn't take the easy way out. Three times he says, no, I'm coming with you. I'm committed to what God has called me to. This actually is discipleship. This, this is the kind of thing that we see in life and ministry. In fact, this is the, I've experienced this kind of thing. As I, as I said, three years ago, we planted Tri-City Church. But probably three years before that is when I began to think and talk about planting a church. And what I noticed early on is that the people that I shared this with, this, this kind of growing desire, I think, I think maybe I'm supposed to plant a church. The people that were involved in church planting, they were rarely very enthusiastic. Most of the time, their response was, Maybe. Maybe God's calling you to that. I'd be like, no, I really think that maybe God's, eh, we'll see. It's not that they didn't want people to plant churches. It's not that they didn't even want me to, at some point, plant a church. It's that they knew how difficult it was. They knew the sacrifice. They knew the, the time and energy that would be put in. And so their, their kind of go-to response when someone said they wanted to plant a church was, eh, we'll see, putting up a bit of an obstacle. Thinking that if this person... If I really am called, that will push through. In fact, that's, that's what happened. That because of some of that pushback, my wife and I, we did spend more time seeking God. We did spend more time discerning, Lord, is this really from you? Is this, in fact, something that we have to do as a matter of obedience, that there won't be peace in our soul unless we follow you in this way? Or is this just some you know, good idea that we think we have? Through the opposition... It led us to seek God all the more, and it led us to find a greater measure of peace, even though we were going down a road that was more and more uncertain. See, again, this is, this is discipleship. Uh, discipleship, just to be clear, is different than mentorship. Mentorship is usually someone who's experienced in a field, who's training someone who's young and inexperienced, and really they're training them, in a sense, into their image, right? Saying, Here, here's the way I've done things, here's how I've found success, it's helpful, but discipleship is different because it's a, it's a mature Christian, a mature believer training or helping someone who's new in the faith, but he wanted, they want to conform them not into their image, but into the image of Christ. They really want them to grow in, in godliness. We see discipleship as a pattern throughout the Bible. It's here with Elijah and Elisha, but even in the New Testament, we see it expressly. We see it from Jesus himself. We see, of course, he had the 12 disciples and many more. But the 12 were those he trained, those who he, he equipped. And after he went to the cross, after he died and was, was raised again, and then he was about to go up to heaven, he spoke to his disciples and said, okay, now your job is to go and make more. And that's the pattern we see of the church. In fact, more than a pattern, it's the prescribed practice of the church. It's how we are to interact with each other. Those who know Christ are to go out into the world and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those who don't yet know him. And as they come to faith... By the grace of God, then they're welcomed in, and they are discipled. They're taught, look, here's how you apply the gospel in your life. Here's how you actually follow Jesus day in and day out. It's about more than just you know, putting up obstacles like we've seen here in this text. Most of the time. Most of the time, it means leading and guiding. 
and encouraging those who are young in the faith. But the distinguishing characteristic of someone who is discipling another, the thing that makes it different than just a friendship or kind of a a relationship, is that the discipler is, is most concerned with your eternal peace rather than your immediate peace. See, there are many times when the best thing for us is to have someone who knows us, loves us, loves Jesus, who can speak into our life, confront us in areas of sin, ask us questions about the direction we're going and our our motivation for things. See, that's a a great value and something we see time and again. Look here uh, in Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, this is why we need to be discipled. Because we need people to to teach us, to admonish us. Without that, I mean, we have blind spots. We have have hardwired dispositions of sin that are going to lead us to the wrong thing in times of uncertainty. We're going to grab hold of those things which are going to lead us farther and farther away from God rather than than drawing us nearer to him. We need each other to help build into our lives. See, discipleship is for everyone. And if you're new to the church, it's hard to see sometimes, but it's actually happening all around us right now. There are some more formal uh, places where this happens, community groups, Bible studies, youth, young adults, different times where people are meeting together. But there's also informal relationships of, of discipling where people are just getting to know each other, Uh, getting to know each other's lives, praying for each other. There's a lot of ways that discipleship can happen. But there are really two questions. If if we see this in the Bible and we want to see this happen more in our church, there are two questions, two dispositions of heart that we need. The first, the first is, are you willing to put yourself in a position where people know you and people can speak into your life? Otherwise, you're you're not going to be allowing people and God the opportunity to speak through others. You're going to be closed off. You're going to feel safer, but it's not going to be better. But the second thing is, are you willing, especially if you're kind of farther along the line in your faith, are you willing to to take on the extra burden of ministry of caring for those around you, of of getting to know people, of speaking into their lives, of of praying on things and saying, I think this is what God is saying. Here's what it says in the Word. It takes more time. It's not easier but it's better. It's better for the church. If we are to find peace and help each other find peace in times of uncertainty and grow in faith, we need to be discipled. But the second thing is, we need spiritual priorities. Let's look at the next few verses here. They're uh, heading down to the Jordan River. Here's verse 7. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now this is, I always found, a very surprising response from Elisha. It sort of seems like after all the training, after all the discipleship, that he kind of fumbles the ball here at the goal line, right? I mean, a double portion of your spirit? Anytime anyone asks for a double portion, I mean, that just smacks of greed, doesn't it? At the Christmas dinner table, you know the uncle who's going to go and get the double portion of the food. 
He walks back to the table. There's potatoes falling off his plate. He's got so much on there. You go up. There's like a few string beans, right? Some carrots and Brussels sprouts. It feels here like Elijah is kind of full of himself. Like he's saying to Elijah, look, whatever you had, I want double. Whatever miracles you did, I want to do double. Whatever glory you had, I want double. It feels very much like he's about himself. But in fact, that's, that's not what's going on here. He's not asking for more than what Elijah received. He's asking to be treated as a son. See, in those days, in those days when they divided up the inheritance for the children who were left from the parents who had passed on, they divided it up equally, but the firstborn son received a double portion of the inheritance. That's what Elisha is after. He wants to be treated as a son. He wants to be able to receive the spiritual blessing of a spiritual father. It's not greed. It's yet another example of Elisha's commitment to the things of God. It does, though, prompt us, doesn't it, to think a bit about this idea of inheritance and what we value. Because with inheritances, that's really what, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Who's going to get what? What is it that we want when someone leaves? What have they left us? came across the story of this big family in uh, Queens, New York. This big uh, Irish Catholic family, 12 kids. And uh, their parents had passed on. They were all older. And uh, they didn't really get along that well. Uh, the will was not super specific about who would get what in the family home. Had this big old house with lots of artifacts in there, things that people wanted. So they decided, how are we going to split this up? They asked one of the brothers, who was a lawyer, to come up with a system. A system where they could select these items in the house that were under dispute. So here's the system he came up with. Firstly, they cataloged all the items. There were 196 items that were under dispute. There were more, but some just one person wanted. That was easy. So they literally photographed all of the items, made a catalog, numbered them. Then they came up with a system with rules. There were five pages of rules about how the selection process would take place. Here is rule uh, number 10. The estate does not recognize any alleged oral promises by mommy or daddy to give certain items to certain distributees. Therefore, all such items are available to be selected unless documented proof is provided. <laughs> See, they weren't messing around, right? They wanted to go by, by the rule book. The next thing they had to do is figure out who would pick first. So they contacted an accounting firm in the area, and they said, can you please mail us on your letterhead the numbers 1 through 12 in a random order? So they knew that no one was trying to cheat the system. They'd open it up, and then they'd take turns picking, first to last, last to first. It was very obvious what they thought was of most value. The thing in their inheritance that they could receive, they were material possessions. They wanted the stuff. And it's not hard to understand why. That's, that's, that tends to be what we most easily prioritize in our lives, isn't it? It's, it's the stuff, it's the things, the things that will bring us comfort, the things that will bring us hope. When we go to bed at night and there's more money than we need in our bank account and there's a vacation on the horizon, we tend to sleep better, even if there's uncertainty in our life. But you'll notice with Elijah, he was acting in just the opposite way. In fact, last week we saw that he had turned his back on his material inheritance. Remember, he left his family, left the family business, he burned his oxen. He had already decided to be obedient to the Lord. And today, this day when Elijah would be taken up to heaven, this was the culmination of that decision for obedience. Elijah was not hoping in 
He was not looking to the material inheritance that he could receive from Elijah. He wasn't, he wasn't focused on the prestige, the political power, the, the, the influence he had among the people. Elijah was seeking a greater blessing and a greater certainty. The thing of greatest value that he knew he could receive was the Spirit of God. He wanted to be shaped. He wanted to be filled by the very power and presence of God. He wanted to carry on the ministry that Elijah had begun, but not just with the same direction, not just with the same title. He wanted the same capacity for spiritual work in the lives of God's people. He wanted the same level of peace, even though he was walking down a road of greater and greater uncertainty. And he knew the only way to get this, the only way to receive this kind of blessing was to prioritize the spiritual blessing that he could receive, the spiritual inheritance. This is meant to prompt us to consider what it is that we prioritize. Like where it is that we look when things are uncertain, when times are difficult, what is it that we latch on to? What sort of thing do we look to, to to settle our heart, to settle our spirit? Most of the time, most of the time it's something material, isn't it? It doesn't have to be something big either. Like for me, at the end of a day, doesn't matter how that day went, if there is a piece of pie at the end of that day, it's going to be a good day. Doesn't matter what has happened. Doesn't matter if Jeff's called me up and yelled at me again. Doesn't matter if, you know, my computer's, you know, falling apart. Whatever it is. If there's a piece of apple pie warmed with a, with a thing of ice cream, I will go to bed. My soul will be at peace. I will sleep soundly. Of course, I'll wake up. And the stomach will be empty. And my wife won't let me eat pie for breakfast. So then I'm in trouble. Right? Then the worries. The worries will come back to me. The anxiety, it always comes back. See, that's the thing about material comforts. At best, they are a distraction from the difficulties of life. To get a real answer, to get a real level of peace, we need to look deeper. We need to look to the spiritual things of our life and the spiritual realities around us, which is exactly what Elisha is doing. And because of his spiritual focus, he is ready for his final test. He's told Elijah, look, this is what I want. I want a double portion of your spirit. And here's Elijah's response, verse 10. He says, You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. So the reason it's difficult is because this is actually not something that Elijah can give. He can't give him the Spirit of God. So what this means now is that Elijah's departure has become the final test for Elisha to see if he is ready, in fact, for ministry, to see if, in fact, God will be with him. And so this is how it plays out, verse 11 and 12. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. It's an amazing scene, a grand, glorious vision But there's some important symbolism we need to know to really understand the meaning here. Uh, The primary symbol is the the chariots and the horsemen. Now, throughout the Old Testament, this always symbolizes the power, power and security. Uh, Look in verse, uh, sorry, Psalm 20, verse 7. Uh, Oftentimes in Psalms, this is referenced, but here's here's a clear one. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, this helps us to understand why it is that Elijah cries out as he does. What he's doing is he's speaking a truth, a truth that Elijah, he has been like the chariots and the horsemen. 
of Israel. He has been the security and the power and the comfort, the very presence of God. And now as he is being taken away, the truth remains that, that now Elijah is that comfort to the people. Elijah now is there to bring power and security. This affirms Elijah's readiness for ministry and the fact that the transition of power has been God-appointed and that the power of God remains. In light of what we see here, though, before we move on to the end, I think we should be asking ourselves another question. See, think about what Elijah says. Elijah says to Elijah, basically, if the Spirit of God is with you, you will be able to see these things. So here's my question for us. Do you think that it's possible? Do you think that there could be spiritual realities that we are missing because our perceptions have been dulled by the things of this world rather than heightened by the Spirit of God? Let me say it again. Do you think there could be spiritual realities that we're missing because our perception has been dulled by the things of this world rather than heightened by the Spirit of God? That's what Elijah's saying. Look, there's something right in front of you, Elijah. You may not be able to see it. Now, I don't mean to say for us that we should be expecting to see flaming horses or chariots. It could happen. It's happened here. I'm more thinking of the everyday things that the Spirit of God wants us to see, that he's prompting us to take action about. The people in our lives is what I'm mostly thinking about. Like the person at work that's really going through a difficult time. They haven't said anything to anyone, but what they really need is a word of encouragement. They would really appreciate a word of prayer. There's many times when people like that in my life, I've walked right by them. I've had conversations with them. And because my mind, my heart are filled with all sorts of other lesser uh, things that are not as important, I, I miss the prompting of the Spirit. I don't take the time. There may be other people in our lives, like someone in our class at school, whose heart has already been softened to the gospel. They're ready to, to believe they're longing for a greater hope, and yet we don't have the conversation. We aren't even praying for them because our, our minds and our hearts are consumed with all the things that are going on in our life. See, th the Spirit of God is with us. That's the beauty of living this side of the cross. It's not like it was with Elijah who was hoping that he might receive the Spirit of God. The promise that we find in the Scriptures is that to all who believe, the gift of the Spirit is ours. That we don't have to long for Him. He is with us. It doesn't mean, though, that we are walking in the Spirit. It doesn't mean, though, that we are giving ourselves over and prioritizing the spiritual things in our lives. That's necessary. It's necessary lest we be, we be deaf and blind to the very things right in front of us that God wants us to do, the people He wants us to love. The way that we can prioritize the spiritual things is, is not complicated. It's devoting ourselves to the word, devoting ourselves to prayer, turning from sin. It's daily waking up and saying, Lord, I'm not sure what's going to happen today, but, but it's going to be a successful day, Lord, only if I'm attuned to what your spirit is leading me to. Holy Spirit, please guide me. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear those people who are in need. Help me to take advantage of the things that you're putting right in front of me. If we are to find peace for ourselves and for others, we need spiritual priorities. But the last thing, the last thing is most important. We need God. Let me, let me read you the last few verses. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. 
Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So that's the end of the story. If you think about this story, if someone were to ask you about it, like some people are asking me, what, what are you preaching this Sunday? Uh, this little section of scripture, we usually refer to it as the story where Elijah is taken up into heaven in a chariot, right? A flaming chariot, flaming horses. That's wrong for two reasons. Number one, if you notice, the chariot and the horses, they're just for show. They don't take anyone anywhere, right? It's the whirlwind that takes Elijah up. Uh-huh. First mistake. Secondly, though, secondly, that's not even the climax of the story. This right here is the climax of the story. Because the tension that has been building since verse 1 is only really resolved right here. Remember the tension? Remember the people? The prophet saying, do you know today's the day? Did you, are you aware your master is going to be taken? Everyone's anxious. Everyone's worried. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen when Elijah leaves us? You might think, well, we have the, we have the answer. Right? Elijah left, but Elisha is here now. Elijah is now the, the prophet. There is a smooth leadership transition. All is well. And while that is true, there is a deeper, more abiding truth that really brings peace in the situation. There is something, someone, that has not changed at all. There is no transition necessary. And Elijah, Elisha asks the only question that people really should be asking. He says, where now is the Lord? Where now is the God of Elijah? Is, is God still here? Is God still at work among his people? And with the parting of the waters, the answer resounds for all the people who either saw it or heard about it. Yes, indeed, God is still here. Yes, God is at work. Because God is the everlasting God. God has not left us. He will never leave us. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, the God of Elijah, and the God of Elisha. And for us today, he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 13.8 reminds us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, the continuity of God's presence means real comfort for us today. It means that there has never been a moment in human history where God's people have been on their own. It means there's never been a moment in our life where we have been abandoned by God. See, back then, especially in times of un un uncertainty, they would, they would look to the prophets. They would look for these miracles and symbols. They looked to the parting of the waters to be assured that God was with them. But today, we, we have more than a sign to look to. We have God himself in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the true and better revelation of God's presence and power. See, with Elijah, Elijah, it was amazing. He cheated death, but with Jesus, I mean, Jesus conquered death. And with Elijah, he left, and he left behind Elijah to carry on his ministry. Jesus left, but he left behind the helper, the Spirit of God, who would guide us in all truth, convict us of sin, we have the presence of God amongst us by his grace, by his power. And that's something that we need, especially in our day. Especially in our day, which is just as uncertain, if not more so, than the time of Elijah and Elijah. See, in our day, in our lives, when things that are uncertain happen to us, we're filled with questions. Our minds are filled with questions. Our heart is filled with questions. 
We think of all the practicalities of our life and we, th- we think, how am I going to go on? Is anyone ever going to love me? Am I ever going to find a job that, that sticks? Am I ever going to get healthy? How, how am I going to care for the kids? There's question after question after question and we think, if we can just find the answer to those questions, then I will find peace. But the truth is that those are not the right questions. Elisha has asked the right question, the only question that matters. Where now is the Lord? Where now is God? Is God here? Is God with us? Is God active in caring for us, in guiding us, in working out everything for our good? Because of Jesus, and because of the presence of his spirit, we know the answer is yes. We know that he is with us. We know that he will never leave us. And because of that truth, we can then go on to answer all of the other questions of our life. In fact, even if there are no answers that we can see, we can trust the one that has given us the greatest answer, his love and his power. I want to read to you the the final words of Jesus before he, like Elijah, went up to heaven. You'll You'll probably know them. This is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Listen to what he says. He says to his disciples, those he's been training, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see what he points to? He points to a lot of the same things that we find here in our text. He's saying, look, you need each other. You need to go and make more disciples, help each other, teach the things that I've taught you. He focuses on the things of the Spirit. He says, baptize people in the name of the Holy Spirit. Prioritize the spiritual things in your life. Help others do the same. And he says, finally, don't worry. Be at peace, because I will be with you until the end of the age. I don't know if today is a day of uncertainty for you. I don't know if there are questions that are bouncing around in your heart and mind. But I do know that God has answered the fundamental question for every human being with his love, with his grace, in the person of Jesus. And my hope for this morning is that if you don't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you will, you'll come up front, that you'll, you'll help us to introduce you to him. We'd love to do that. But if you do know him, my hope is that you've been encouraged, been reminded that there has not been a moment in the past week when you've been alone. And that as you look to the future, For all the uncertainties, you can have the greatest certainty that every human being needs, that the God of the universe is for you. And more than for you, he is with you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for the, the sure knowledge that you are indeed with us. And God, I pray for each one here. I pray, Lord, you know all the situations that we're involved in. You know the levels of uncertainty or the things that are beyond our capacity to understand. Jesus, I pray for comfort. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with your presence. Fill us with with the truth that you love us, that you're for us, that you have ensured for us to have blessings in this life and in the life to come. And I pray, please, I pray, Lord, for those that don't yet have that peace, Lord, would would you awaken their hearts to the to the to the reality of their sin and the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, because you are the same yesterday and day, today and forever, and uh, I pray you'd help us also to be attuned to your spirit, to see those around us who don't yet have that hope. 
God, please bring us peace and use us to bring peace to others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.